Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz Podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki here hunkered down in State College and talking this week as always with John Mitchell. We've got a coronavirus-filled episode for you guys today. As you know, a lot of colleges are around the country. Uh, Here at Penn State, we've gone to all online courses. Other ones have completely shut down for the term. But I think the biggest story, at least for those of you listening out there, is the fact that the NCAA has shut down sports across the country through the rest of the winter and spring schedules. That obviously extends to spring practices, which were already starting to be shut down um, before they could really even get started in earnest. So we've got a slate of topics that we're going to be looking at here from the more practical to some some more fun and theoretical at the end to maybe, you know, boost boost your spirits a little as we head out for another week. Uh, but we're going to be looking in our first segment just at the impacts of the coronavirus and how it is going to, you know, impact the football season coming up. Uh, 2020 could look very different based on what we're experiencing right now. Our second segment, we're going to end up uh, going forward and looking a little bit more theoretical at the 2020 season and what it might look like if the coronavirus hits again and gets games canceled right before championship weekend, kind of like we've seen with March Madness and championship tournaments getting canceled all across college basketball. And in our final segment to... uh, to get things a little peppy and get you on a more fun topic to end, we're going to be looking at coaches we might like to hang out with if we were quarantined with the coronavirus with them. So on that note, John, uh, I know the news has said that there's you know not too much uh, scare yet in Alabama in terms of the coronavirus, but I'm just curious, how are things down there in your part of the country? You know pretty much like it is everywhere, progressively getting worse day by day. Um, Currently, there's not a lot of confirmed cases in this state so far, but that's strictly because there hasn't been a ton of testing in the state of Alabama so far. There was, we were one of the last states to find a confirmed case, and there were too many people I know celebrating the fact that we hadn't had it, and I kept, you know, letting everybody know too like it's only because no one's been tested for it like it's it's here you know we just have we don't know it yet so now it's confirmed and now everybody's starting to bunker down and whatnot and go to the grocery stores and buy all the toilet paper for reasons i'm not really sure of to be honest with you um and whatnot so i've got a I've got a, a cabinet stocked full of whiskey and a fridge stocked full of beer, so I feel pretty confident that I'm going to make it okay. Well, there you go. I mean, the important things in life, right? You know, forget those empty aisles of toilet paper. As long as you have the necessities, you're good to go. And, uh, you know, the newspaper will do the trick as long as they keep delivering it, I guess. <laughs> uh, we don't have working showers. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> life is good. Um, yeah, I mean, here in, here in Pennsylvania, we're shut down on campus till April 6th. So, you know, it's interesting. We had spring break and we went straight into three weeks of working online. And as somebody who works kind of on both sides of the ledger as a student and as an assistant, you know, a teaching assistant, it's it's been interesting seeing that transition over online from both sides of it. Uh, I, I have experience, you know, uh, collaborating with people online, so it's not too weird a shift for me. But I know it's certainly an adjustment period for a lot of people. Both some of some of my uh, colleagues in the department, uh, among the faculty members as well as, you know, just students who are trying to adjust to technologies and 
not everybody has used video conferencing software before because why would you do that when Snapchat fits the bill, right? Uh, so, you know, on that note, I think everybody's just in this adjustment period. And like we talked about with college football, obviously in an adjustment period. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing that's immediately on our mind is we don't have any spring practices or spring games to talk about now. So what the hell are we going to do for topics, John, over the next couple months? That's That's been our bread and butter this time of year, you know? So... You know, how do you think this is going to impact things moving forward, this lack of spring spring practices or just the cutting of them? I'm worried it's going to have a bigger impact than anyone's even really discussed so far. I, I read something, um, I think it was yesterday, and it feels like every day it's another bombshell that gets dropped. Like, you know, you allow yourself to think for a second that maybe things are getting better, and then you read something, and it's like, okay, maybe not. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski for ESPN, um, I believe it was yesterday, it could have even been earlier, I'm sorry, I believe it was either Sunday or earlier on Monday that this happened, um, where NBA owners are bracing for the fact that it might be mid-June before they're able to play basketball again, so, and if they did it in mid-June, it would be with no fans still in attendance, so I mean, you know, Mid-June's getting pretty close to, you know, summer practices and stuff, ramping up for colleges and workouts and all that, and getting not that far away from the season. So it's not hard to envision if things don't get better pretty quickly that the college football season could be impacted. Oh, yeah, I I, I think it really could. Um, I heard a really, or I read a really great tweet from Alex Kirshner at Banner Society. Uh, he tweeted on Monday afternoon, and I'm just going to quote this verbatim because I think it was really insightful and something we need to really keep in mind moving forward. He said, quote, you should start getting into the headspace now that there will not be a normal college football season. Make it a pleasant surprise if there is one. Not a devastating event if there isn't. And I think, you know, just end quote. And I think just kind of looking at that and and kind of tumbling those words around, that's exactly it. Like, we need to hope for the best and expect the worst with this. And that's, you know, I, I've talked to everybody around this. Success in the long run, is going to look like overreaction. You know, all these measures that we're taking right now that can mitigate its, you know, proliferation uh, throughout the population really will determine down the road just how, you know, how deep an extent this has. And, you know, we'll talk about this more in, in, in the next segment when we look at what might happen with a possible cancellation midseason. But, you know, there are historical precedents for this, and we just need to keep in mind that seasons don't always look normal. You know, real life does interfere with sports, and that's something that gets kind of lost in the shuffle sometimes. Yeah, I think it's also an important reminder that as much as we love sports in general as much as we you know take time to talk about it at the end of the day it's still just a game yeah and there's so many other things that matter more when you have people's lives that are at stake and their well-beings and whatnot that you know the worst thing that happens to us able-bodied younger people is that we sit around and we don't get to watch March Madness while other people could be fighting and clawing for their lives and you know and I say this as someone who absolutely loves March Madness. It always falls around my birthday. So one of my favorite things is taking time off work um, and sitting there and watching the opening couple days of the NCAA tournament when there's five games on at once for about 12 straight hours, it feels like. And it's great. And, you know, I miss it dearly right now not getting to have that, you know, but I totally understand and I'm willing to do my part other than, you know, having necessity to go to work still or, you know, go to the grocery store and get necessity items and whatnot. 
restock my beer fridge after we're done recording the podcast and I've gone through nine beers like normal, but, <laughs> um, you know, do my part to make sure that others are going to be okay. And that, you know, the worst thing that happens is we lost a few games because of it. Then so be it. I mean, if, you know, we could, we've already lost spring. We could lose a lot more. And that's something that we need to really stay focused on. Because, you know, that's one thing that's also been swirling in my mind. We're thinking about spring practices uh, being canceled. But we could also see those preseason practices in the in the late summer. Also, you know, that that period, that window get truncated as well. I mean, it, it's a real risk. And one thing I'm really curious about that I'd love to get your thoughts on or is, you know, will this layoff really favor more veteran teams in terms of, you know, the fact that they've worked together before, the fact that they, you know, they've done it on the field and that muscle memory is going to help along the way. And then the other question I kind of want to pitch to you is, could we see chaos that puts 2007 to shame? Yeah, I mean, I think the the teams that have the more experience together are also your teams that just have more talent because when things go off script, some teams have those guys where it's just like, all right, we're not doing anything correctly in the game plan right now. Let's give the ball to player X and let him do his thing. You know, there's only a, so many teams that have that guy that they can put the ball in their hands and just say go crazy, and that's really all you need on offense so it'll be interesting because you know you mentioned I don't know if I don't really foresee this pandemic stretching out into September when we get the start of the season but you know if it stretches into past the summer and into early August or something you these teams still have to have time to practice and prep to get ready for the season I don't think you'll see you know no practice time and the first time these guys take the field they're playing a game the first weekend of September, you know, I think there will have to be an adjustment period. If that means canceling some out of conference contest, then that's, what's got to happen. So I, you know, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no. Well, what I was going to say about that is I think what we've seen with, you know, viruses and these sorts of pandemics in the past is you have this sort of incubation period and we're sort of in the height of that right now, you know, going through spring, we can see it ramp up. And in summertime, like you mentioned with the NBA, they're looking at June. That's really, I think, the point where you're going to see a tapering off, at least to the point where you can start getting some limited gatherings together. You're obviously not going to put 20,000 people in a stadium at the same time or in an arena. And that's okay. But, the you know, like June, you could see practices come together still. I think that's a possibility um, you know, the question becomes, you know, not even September, we're probably still safe, but when you have a pandemic that sort of tapers off like that, it can also ramp up the next, you know, fall into winter with, you know, right at the, the incubation time that we saw this, you know, whole timeline start to develop when you go back to, to the beginning of the story, and I think that that's really something that we need to keep in mind. And that's actually, you know, that leads us right into our next topic that we'll be talking about right after the break here is what happens if this interrupts the season mid-season? Because I think that's really the concern more than how this impacts the beginning of the season, other than, you know, players getting less prep opportunity and especially younger players and transfers getting less of an opportunity with no spring ball. But ultimately, the concern isn't on the front end of 2020. I think it's more on the back end. So unless you have anything else you see uh, in terms of these immediate impacts we know, John? Just going to mention quickly that I think the sheer size of these football rosters works in the detriment of the season as well, because you talk about the CDC releasing stuff saying that, you know, no group gatherings of more than 50 people 
for the next eight weeks or so. And you're talking about 85-man rosters, not counting walk-ons. You're talking about 85 scholarship players. Bigger schools have a collection of walk-ons. You're going over 100 just players, not counting the coaching staff, support staff, and stuff like that. So I think that also works in the detriment. You're looking at the NBA with rosters that are 12 to 15 guys. Yeah, that is definitely something to keep in mind as well as we're moving forward is, you know, what becomes the new normal in terms of of gatherings and what can really be done, especially in the close quarters of a locker room, for instance. So definitely thank you for bringing that up. I think it's something we do need to uh, keep in the back of our minds as we continue to watch this situation develop. Uh but I think uh, with that said, let's take our first first break quickly now. And uh, when we come back, we'll be talking a bit more theoretically about what could happen on the back end of 2020. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. Before we continue on, I actually just realized, John, do you know what this is? This what is, is it? This is our 50th edition of the Saturday Blitz podcast. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I uh, you know, small milestones in the uh, age of coronavirus. Let's celebrate every small victory. Absolutely. So, so it's been a pleasure getting to be here with you all out there in cyberspace for the past year or so. I know we've had a couple of breaks, uh, a couple of weeks here and there, but in general, we've been here with you weekly, and, and for the past 50 episodes it's, episodes, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to many more of them with you all. But now that we've uh, digressed there, let's get back on the subjects at hand. Uh, when we left you last before the break, we were talking about the impacts of the coronavirus on spring practices and how it might influence the 2020 season. And I think, you know, the thing that could be more concerning than losing the first weeks of games or losing preseason practices is just what this could do on the back end of the year, you know, uh, Conference championships and March Madness got canceled in college basketball this year. The NCAA coughed up billions in lost revenue. I mean, a lot of people lost their shirts on that. And it's just, you know, it's something that I I, I think was in the public interest to do so. You know, they they did the right thing by calling this off in terms of if your primary concern is the health of students who are on the court playing these games and the people who fill the stands to celebrate them, your primary concern needs to be those people's health and well-being. So they can take the loss. It's not going to hurt one year. But college football is another cash cow, John. Uh what what do you what kind of impact do you think would happen if this season was canceled before championship weekend? You know, I, I feel like college basketball fans have taken it a lot better than college football fans would take it. I, at least, at least in my experience, from where I you know I've lived in the South forever, so football is treated a little bit differently, I think, here than some places. So, I just I think about. Back to last season, for instance, heading into conference championship weekend when you had three undefeated Power Five conference teams. You had LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. And I don't remember exactly what the polls were like, but I want to say LSU was number one in a poll, and I want to say Ohio State was number one in a poll heading into conference championship weekend. So you're getting in the point that I think because there's precedent, you know, for a college football team being voted as a national champion without having to play in a national national championship game, you would have still seen a champion awarded, but it would have, there would have been chaos in that reign because you would have probably had a split title with LSU getting the, what AP and coaches and Ohio state getting the college football playoff number one. But then you have Clemson sitting there undefeated and the defending national champions who would have been, you know, rightfully upset that they didn't, 
get a, a share of that as well. So I, I imagine that fans would take that very poorly and it would be just chaotic across the landscape if that was to happen. And, and I don't think, particularly with the time of the year, that it could be delayed, that things would get better in time, that it would ever be able to be completed, um, even in you know February or March or something like that, particularly with the NFL uh, draft concerns with players and everything like that. So it would be hard to envision, but I mean, it was hard enough to, I never really, you would have asked me this time um, two weeks ago, for instance, whether or not I thought there was a chance of March Madness being completely canceled. I would have thought you were absolutely insane. That's not something I ever would have thought I'd see. Yeah, it, no, it's true. I mean, we've seen really exceptional circumstances and really exceptional responses to those circumstances. And yes, a lot of money's lost, but I think you're right. You know, with the polls, you know, it, it really was only since 1968 when the AP first decided on a regular basis to award their national championship after the polls and really only until after 1974 when the coaches poll decided to follow suit and that became basically the precedent across the country it, there were no conference championships uh bowl games were truly exhibitions and you, you know we just finished the 150th season of quote unquote college football uh, and I put quotes around that considering those early games honestly looked more like soccer than the football we know today. But that being neither here nor there, we celebrated 150, accurate or not. And, uh, you know, we have enough precedent in that history that it's not like we'd have to put an asterisk next to this season for, who, you know, whichever teams get declared because I think like you said you know if we just look at last season you'd have multiple national champions and I imagine each of those three teams would have been crowned by at least one of the 17 or 19 different official selectors of the NCAA uh so you know I mean and I think each would have had a, 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 you know, a far more legitimate claim than, for instance, UCF clinging to their Kali Matrix win in 2017. You know, each one of these teams would be recognized as exceptional. And that's okay. You know, I, I, I think it might be good for people to experience a bit of split national championship again. Um... I think, and, and being somebody who loves the playoff, who'd love to see it expanded even further, I think at the same time, we sometimes take, you know, the mania of deciding, of determining who's the definitive national champion a little bit too seriously. And ultimately, college football should be fun. If we're getting, you know, if you're getting pissed off that your team is going to the Cotton Bowl rather than two semi, one of the two semifinals, or they're going to the Rose Bowl rather than one of the two semifinals, we're doing... I mean, why are we even clinging to those bowl games then? I mean, we want the nostalgia and the, the pageantry. But if we distill it down to too finitely and we take whatever you know gets spit out of the playoff formula as too sacrosanct we're kind of losing the mystique that that is part of college football so frankly i kind of want to see this happen john I mean, well, I, I don't want to see it from the you know the standpoint of the population having to deal with an epidemic of, of the proportions it would take to get them to do this. But, you know, the way things are going, I think it's possible in my lifetime that we see this happen. I, I'm 37 years old and everything going properly. I got four or five more decades in me to watch this sport. And I think in the next half century, we could see this happen at least once. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly wouldn't be a surprise. I, I didn't expect that this would ever be something I would have to experience or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would be... I think part of the, the fun of sports is the journey to get to these areas. I think people do probably take who wins it as, as a little too serious. Obviously, there's no greater feeling as a fan than watching your team win a championship, but there's so many other ancillary joys that you can pull from each season. You know, you're winning a game over a big rival means a lot or, or beating a, a higher ranked team than you or pulling an upset that no one really expected. Those are, you know, singular moments that bring so much joy throughout the season that, you know, at the end of the day, only one team out of, 130 plus teams now that compete for the national title every year. Only one team at the end of the year gets to win that, you know? So, I mean, there are many other things that you can take from, you know, winning the Rose bowl, for instance, even when it's not a college football playoff semifinal, that's something that means so much to players and coaches and fans being able to play in a prestigious bowl game and getting that win. Um, You know, you feel for the athletes though, who have, been robbed of these opportunities these especially seniors in college in men's and women's college basketball and in men's and women's in college baseball college softball as well who were in their final years of eligibility and had a chance to really go out on top not getting the opportunity to do that um you, we've already seen the NCAA talk about granting an extra year of eligibility to winter sport athletes um, remains to be seen whether they would do that at all for spring sport athletes as well, who got to complete at least most of their seasons but didn't get to compete for a championship. So it'd be interesting to see, too, what would happen from a scholarship standpoint if the college football season was affected as well. Because we're already talking about maybe one-time um, passes in terms of scholarship limits, not having to worry about that for one year just to give these seniors and whatnot an extra opportunity to compete uh, for a championship or just compete in a, a season again that could potentially get some of them noticed to play professionally. But a lot of a lot of these people, a lot of these athletes who play collegiate sports aren't going to play professionally, and we've talked about that a number of times. So it's their last opportunity to play sports at a high level. So that's mainly what I've felt the deepest. Like obviously, selfishly, I hate that I haven't got to watch the NCAA tournament or in our standpoint, would miss a college football game or two. But, you know, deep down, what really bums me out is the fact that there are these athletes who have fought and clawed and scratched so hard to get to the level that they are, and they're, you know, being robbed of that final opportunity. Certainly. And, you know, like we talked about with that quote by Alex Kirshner from Banner Society in our previous uh, segment, you know, we we need to prepare for next season not to look like we expect it to. Like, let's prepare for this not to look like business as usual. And I think, you know, it, the athletes in basketball, in baseball, in softball, you know, these sports that are already winding down, will, hopefully the NCAA does the right thing and at least gives these athletes the opportunity <laughs> to stay in school another year if they want to and and remain on scholarship. Um, But, you know, next year, football players going into that season need to be prepared that this is not going, you know, not just us fans, not just those of us who write and talk about the sport, but the players and the coaches and the support staffs all need to be prepared going in that this very well might not look like normal. And, and, And I think that's... That's going to be critical because, you know, I'm working on a piece right now for this week's Sunday morning quarterback that'll be out this weekend that's, you know, looking at the coronavirus and its impacts in context with the 1918 Spanish flu and how that impacted that college football season. And if, you know, if we look at that, it was, it it wasn't that first wave of flu that we saw in 19, you know, late 1917 and through the spring of 1918 that had the deadliest impact. It was when it resumed itself in 
September and into the winter of 1918 that it really hit hardest. And so, you know, we can't say that epidemiology, everything's going to be exactly the same. That, that's just not how this all works. But with that precedent there, we have to at least prepare ourselves for the possibility that that could happen. And what that season looked like, because it was already starting to be there in August and September, is, you know, 16 of what were then only 88 uh, major football programs ended up not playing a season. So 20% of the teams, including the entire membership of what was the uh what was the forerunner to the big eight conference all of those teams decided to sit out the season um you know this was a season that was also bulked up because you were also in the midst of world war one i think that's the other thing that we don't necessarily have that same correlation or if we do a lot of other things, a lot of other dominoes are going to have to fall over this summer to make that happen. And let's cross our fingers that we don't get to that point anywhere in the world. But, you know, this was a season where 18 additional uh, military stations, you know, army camps, naval reserves, different things of that nature, where they all fielded football teams that played against colleges. So when you look at that season... You'll 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 probably not believe it at all, but it had a split national championship. So you had undefeated Michigan that won a five zero and zero season, and you had Pitt, which ended up going four one and zero, losing to a Cleveland Naval Reserve team, and so you know they were they were unbeaten against college teams that year. And so they ended up splitting the national championship, including, interestingly enough, they ended Georgia Tech's 33-game unbeaten streak in the middle of that season. Uh, just a nice little piece of trivia for you there in, uh, in the way that played out. And, you know, that's the thing is these teams were depleted by, you know, smaller roster. The teams that did continue to play, I should say, were depleted by smaller rosters. You didn't have the ability to play football as normal. And I think that's, you know, and this was in an age when five games, six game seasons was becoming the norm more than the 12, 13, 14 that we have now. I mean, it's interesting because you see, and I'm making a quick digression here, but in college football, those early years of the sport, I mean, Yale was competing in 15 games a year. I think the Chicago Maroons at one point had like a 17 or 18 game season because this became university publicity. Once conferences start to form in the early 20th century, you start to see teams playing in their regional loops, playing one or two marquee games a year outside of those conferences that's when you start to see the six, seven, eight game schedule that, you know, slowly has games tacked back onto it as conferences get bigger, etc. But so by this point, you got smaller, smaller seasons. Even then, though, you know, you look at, oh boy, and I had this info just pulled up, so you'll have to bear with me a second. But, you know, you look at the 1917 college football season and... You know, these some of these teams were playing nine games seasons. Ohio State played nine games that uh, that nineteen seventeen season. They only play uh, you know six games the year after. So teams are scaling back their schedules as it is. They just don't have the manpower. They don't have you know between war and pandemic. There's just not enough to go around. And I think that's really what we could see here. Like you said, teams that can stack talent. And I think you said this in the last segment, but you were saying, you know, not just veteran teams, but teams with the most talent, 
you know, so when the first team guy and the second team guy drop off, you have less drop off in talent with those third and fourth stringers. Those are the teams that are going to do best in 2020. And whether it's a full season that includes the playoff or a champion being named at the end of a regular season that ends without conference championship games, those are most likely going to be the teams that weather the storm best. Right. Yeah, I mean, I imagine not having a college football season for a second, how depressing that would feel. I guess we would spend the entire season re-watching past games and talking about them and crying at the end of the podcast because we can't watch real life football anymore. I would be finding myself some old PlayStation and the last version of NCAA football that existed and probably playing that with tears streaming out of my eyes, <laughs> you know, for entire Saturdays at a time. Uh, well, That's my... our solemn vow to the podcast, folks, is that if we don't have college football this season, Zach and I will podcast while we play each other in NCAA 14. And just, yep. And <laughs> I think my wife and my dog will absolutely hate me and you know, coping mechanisms, everybody coping mechanisms. On that note, before we get into our final segment, let's take one quick break here. Uh, Enough time to uh, crack open another beer and we will be right back to talk a little quarantine talk for those of you who are marooned and working from home. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back for our final segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We've been talking a lot about the coronavirus this week. It's something that's been on everybody's mind around the country, and uh, it's something that could have major implications for the 2020 college football season. We've talked a bit about, you know, the practical and concrete as well as the theoretical and fantastical sort of things that could happen next year. But we wanted to dive into something that's a little bit more fun and lighthearted for this final segment to leave you on an uplifting note as you spend another week at home telecommuting and uh, dealing with kids that might be home from school as well. So we, you know, John threw this question to me, and it just blew my mind as that as to how awesome it is to think about this. If you had to be quarantined with one current college football coach, who would it be, and why? And boy, did I rack my brain over this question, John, because that's fun. That's a, a, a what made first of all what 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 sparked this bolt of lightning into your brain. I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, this self-quarantining was becoming more and more of a reality. I think we talked about this, you know, late last week, um, a lot earlier prepping than we normally get done for the podcast, to be honest, everyone. And I was just thinking about, like, I'm going to be stuck at home, you know, to read books, watch movies, that sort of thing. And I was thinking about it from the perspective of doing the podcast, and I was like, I wonder... What first I thought about maybe what historic figure you'd want to be quarantined with, but I tried to keep it more practical and like, what if, you know, you had to be quarantined with one current college football coach, who would that be? Would it be someone who you felt was best prepared for these kind of situations? Would it be someone who you could share more philosophical conversations with? Would it be someone who, you know, you greatly admire and would just love to spend the time with to rack their brain. So it kind of just came up when I was kind of being all mopey and depressed about the fact that I was going to be quarantined into my own home. So trying to have a little bit of fun um, just to get my mind off of the, our current situation. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad, I'm glad the epiphany struck because yeah, I've been having fun the past couple of days uh, just kind of thinking about who I might choose and why. And, you know, let's just kind of go through the thought process. So my first thought was sort of selfish reasons from a professional standpoint. You know, I, as a guy who writes about smaller schools, 
I, I was sort of thinking, who are some coaches who I might be able to get on tape for, you know, a couple of weeks on, you know, just shooting the breeze and recording and get a book out of it. And uh, I was thinking of Lance Leopold at Buffalo, you know, those Wisconsin Whitewater dynasties, that would be a fun story to get down on, uh, well, not paper anymore, especially in these days of telecommuting. But, you know, get these down typed out, you know, transcribed. I think that'd be awesome. I was also thinking of Craig Bull, you know, and the way he, he built up that North Dakota State dynasty. Uh, and obviously, as a Wyoming fan, I have a bit of self-interest there as well, getting to talk Cowboys football with him. But, you know, the bulk of that conversation for me would be talking about the Bison and what he did with them. Then I took a, a, another turn, and that was sort of the, like, self-interest from a fan's perspective. So Bull was obviously on that list, you know. It, basically, who are, who are the coaches of teams I actually root for? You know, Mario Cristobal would be a... He'd be a fun one to get to converse with, just, you know, like... He could tell you some things about those Miami days, I'm sure, when he was there in town. So... I, I think that he'd be an awesome one to get to chat with. And, and as a duck, as, as somebody who's got my BA and MA as a duck, I'd love to get that opportunity. And obviously Paul Christ at Wisconsin, you know, any one of these guys, I'd, I'd, I'd love to just get the opportunity to sit with them for a while and talk with them. But then, you know, I was thinking to myself, that's all good and well, but is two weeks of conversation with these people really going to be something I want to endure? Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, you're quarantined with somebody for two weeks. They're only going to want to talk about their lives for so long. You're going to be going to different topics, hopefully. Um, who's going to give you some interesting talk? Mike Leach, obviously, is one that's on that list. Um I mean, you can talk everything from pirates to insurgent warfare to, you know, uh, Native American leaders to, you know, just about whatever you want. Um, get the real skinny on his time at, in both Lubbock and Pullman. You, you could go a lot of ways. And then I was also thinking Lane Kiffin there, you know, also in Mississippi would be a fun one to get to talk to, you know. What skeletons were in Al Davis's closet that he got him to hire him at that young age? What did Monty Kiffin have on Al Davis, I guess would be the question. What did, what did the dad have to get the son in or whatnot? Um, but for me, it, it, it's got to be Chip Kelly. You know, he's always been that guy who, he was always so gruff in his and he still is, but especially when he was at Oregon, just that gruff, like, barking three-word answer to basically any question that was asked going off the field at halftime or whatnot always cracked me up. I liked when he was in the, the, the you know, the TV booth for a year. I, you know, I think he does have some personality. And I imagine if you're with him alone, you know, I've heard that with close friends and family, he's... He's, he's a funny guy, so I think it'd be really fun to get to talk to him about the glory days of Oregon football. Yeah, no, those are all really good choices. I went more practical with the guy who came to mind first. Um, I went with Mike Gundy. Um, and the reason I went with Mike Gundy isn't because I think I would enjoy super enjoy his company and the conversations we could have. I just feel like Mike Gundy's been preparing for a play his entire life. <laughs> So like, so, like, I feel pretty confident that Mike Gundy has a doomsday bunker. I feel pretty confident that he's got a basement full of dry goods and, you know, canned foods and, and you know, weaponry and everything you could possibly need to survive an apocalyptic event. It just feels like that guy is prepared for every possible scenario that could possibly pop up in the world like he's just he's ready for a zombie invasion or a zombie apocalypse an alien invasion um a pandemic like we're currently experiencing that guy's just been prepared for that his entire life so i feel like mike gundy would keep me safe so that was 
kind of the first guy that popped into my head. That's actually not a a, a bad choice. Um, I I had actually been thinking about Ed Orgeron a little bit as well. One, because it'd be fun to talk to that voice for a couple of weeks. And two, because he seems like the kind of guy with that voice that could strangle a gator with his bare hands. So, you know, he's another one that might be in that same vein you were thinking. Um, you know, you when you threw this out to me, you mentioned current head coaches. But I have to throw one sort of former coach out there as a bonus, and it's the old ball coach. I'd Spurrier, love, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to hang out with Steve Spurrier for two weeks. Um, Imagine the story Spurrier would have in that period of time. He could talk for two straight weeks and probably only get through about half of them. Exactly. So, you know, like, that's one I'm thinking, both those pro- professional selfish reasons. If he lets me hit record, I've got a gold mine there. And, uh, you know, on just about anything, whatever the guy says is going to be hilarious and, and fun to hear. Um, he seems like, you know, he's the type of guy who we have a similar disposition in terms of, you know, our thoughts, for instance, around whether or not athletes should be paid. I, you know, I don't know that I could take two weeks with a guy who's basically saying he'd quit his job, you know, his multi-million dollar job if athletes get tens of thousands of dollars a year, I'd probably end up punching somebody like Mike Leach at some point there, you know, when he's going into fat, lazy, and entitled. And uh, so I got to go with a guy with a disposition like Spurrier if we're, you know, extending that out a bit. But that's also why I like Chip Kelly. He's also been that, that sort of player's coach that I think I could get along with for, for a fortnight. Absolutely. I like Orgeron, like you said, too, because if everything broke down, you didn't have weapons to to survive. I feel like he could whoop the ass of pretty much everyone who would come to you. So, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And at the very least, you know, he'll talk him down and confuse him until you grab a, 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 a two-by-four laying by the side and smack him upside the head or whatever you got to do. So, I really hope whoever... You know, whoever's on the Oklahoma State beat these days, ask Mike Gundy about this kind of thing so he can dive into his doomsday scenarios. Because I just, I feel like if one college football coach was prepared for this, it would be him. So I I hope someone poses that question to him sometime during the year and he goes in about all the the stuff he has set to the side to be. Dana Holgerson was also a guy who came to my mind that might be prepared for these kinds of scenarios as well. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, that's def- definitely not an odd choice to be throwing out there in that regard. You know, I don't know what it is about these guys, but I, I guess they've got a little bit of that Dwight Schrute in them or something. So, yeah, it, it's uh, it's an interesting one, Holgerson as well, you know. We're, that That's sort of where the body's buried, Dana. Uh, but yeah, I, I still think Gundy's kind of the king of that. You know, there's something about a guy with a mullet on your side when, when the apocalypse hits that just seems natural. And as long as my hair is now, if we've got another guy on our side and I don't have to be the one with the flow at that moment, that's okay by me. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, I, I also selfishly thought of being quarantined with Nick Saban, for instance, because being an Alabama fan. But I also feel like he'd make me do a lot of stuff and yell at me a lot, so it probably, after a few days, wouldn't be nearly as fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'll you'll be having the process in the middle of of your uh, cloister, if you will. And, yeah, it would feel like a cloistering and like you're a monk in his habit, so. Yeah, it would probably get old pretty quickly. Yeah, so, I, you know, I would, uh, I, I'd stick with where you went with that. You probably got the safest choice among the ones we threw out there because, I, yeah, I don't know. There's, that guy has definitely gutted his fair share of large game. You know, that's the way I see a Mike Gundy. Like, that's a guy who, if he was not coaching football right now, would have a dusty pickup truck doing something 
you know, dirty for work during the weeks and throwing dead animals into the back of it on weekends. So... If he's not currently doing that anyway. I'm sure he... Well, you know, not during the, the football season. Saturdays are occupied, but... True. There's always Sunday, so... What, 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 what can we really say about that? Well, also, too, you know, we'd love to hear from everybody else out there, too. This is a fun question that kind of can take your mind off the state of events that are going on in the world right now. You know, it's obviously... So the question surrounds what's going on, but it's kind of a fun hypothetical to think about to kind of ease your minds and whatnot. So if there's anybody we didn't think of or that you guys think would be fun to be stuck in isolation with for a couple of weeks, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that and why. Certainly. Yeah, I you know, I, I, I think it's interesting seeing it from these multiple perspectives, whether it's like you said, can this guy actually save my my ass when doomsday hits? And I'm sitting here like, huh? Could I could, could I get a book out of this guy, or could I uh, <laughs> could I have a good conversation with this guy for a couple weeks? Everybody approaches this from a different angle, so shoot us yours. Uh, Twitter at Zebagalki, Twitter at JL Mitchell ninety three. We'd love to hear from you, and. Uh, you know, first and foremost, the thing that we hope for you all is that you stay safe, you stay healthy, that all your family and friends do the same. And we get to keep hearing from you because on this 50th episode of ours, you know, it, it's all of ours. And we'd love for you to be back here with us week after week. So so keep yourself healthy, you know, wash your hands as much as possible. If you don't have to go to work, don't go to work. If, you know, you do have to go out, practice smart practices, wash your damn hands, wipe things off, uh, don't go coughing on grandma, uh, you, please, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll all be around for a full and healthy and complete 2020 season, but, you know, as we've been talking about through this podcast, prepare for the worst. And, you know, if everything goes smoothly, success will look like an overreaction in the end. And only if it looks like an overreaction will we know that we've gotten to the other side. So for now, hang in there. Uh, keep in mind that this is a long off season that just got a little bit longer without spring practices to break up our discussions. But we will be back Every week here with the Saturday Blitz podcast, uh, with some of these more practical as well as more zany sorts of questions to keep you on your toes and thinking about college football while it's not here for us. And uh, we will be here. So tune back in again next Wednesday. Have a wonderful rest of your week, everybody. 